Good morning. Would you be turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15? Romans chapter 15, and we'll begin there in just a moment. Several things to cover before we get into the lesson. Uh, first of all, thank you for your prayers. Uh, on my behalf, over the last week, uh, the congestion or bad sinus infection, bronchitis, something finally wore me down enough that uh, needed a little bit of rest and really a little bit of medication to kind of help kick kick that and get over the uh, over the curb of that. And, and I feel a lot better during the week and appreciate uh, the prayers so much. I appreciate, uh, even though I give Charles a hard time, being able to send a text message at about 5 o'clock in the morning and know that he'll be able to answer and, uh, and see that. And all the men who filled in, I mean, the others who kind of have to jump around and uh, fill in in various ways. I, I just appreciate that. You know, Charles gives me a hard time about my preaching, and, and I give him a hard time about his, but Midge had a story just a little bit ago that may beat everything. She said she was watching the live stream this morning at home, getting ready to come to service, and she had a really, really scary moment in that we had some trouble with the live stream, so Charles was teaching class as he was here live in the flesh a few moments ago, and then all of a sudden the live stream, it jumped to my preaching from a few weeks ago, or from class Wednesday night. I said, that may be scary, scariest of all, is uh, Charles and I merged together to make one uh, lesson or sermon, but as we were having some trouble and it kicked off, it reverted back to Wednesday night's class and, and my teaching, so yeah, that'd be pretty scary if that was the case usually, but I appreciate all those who helped fill in and, and just thankful to be well and back with you. Let me say uh, for just a moment, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. Uh, we'll talk about that more in just a moment, but we appreciate so much the chance to honor our dear mothers and all that they have done for us. One thing that I meant to say last Sunday and I didn't get to uh, was thank you to the congregation. We said it Wednesday night, uh, but Friday night, uh, Hannah and I started a year ago to put on a spring formal, uh, sort of a prom alternative, if you will. It's the other phrase that we use for our young people. We have many here who are homeschooled that don't necessarily have a chance to attend a school function like that. We also have many Christians who are concerned about the things that sometimes take place at those kind of events, the things that are associated with that, the dress that happens there uh, among young women and even sometimes maybe young men, but the things that are done that are not appropriate. And so we appreciate the opportunity to put on uh, an alternative for our young people. We had about 30, I think 29. Uh, this is the, the best picture I got that shows many of them there. You can kind of see to the left the first set of windows there. Uh, that's Sandra Grove, and over here to the right is Gary because they were there helping us, and so we appreciate their help. We also appreciate the congregation here because we had asked the elders if they would be willing to help financially uh, to help us with that so that we would be able to put this on. We had a great time. had a really encouraging time. All of our uh, young folks were there, and about, again, about 25 others from area congregations came together Friday night, and uh, Gabe and Amanda were a big help. Just so many uh, who did things to help us put that on, and we appreciate not only the financial help from the elders, uh, but also the opportunity to uh, just to, to do that, and uh, appreciate your support in that way. Uh, I also wanted to mention, before we get into the lesson, we appreciate your prayers on behalf of Freddie. Uh, as was said in the announcements, his surgery went well. He's recovering physically okay from that, but we are still certainly concerned just about the test results that will be coming back either tomorrow or Tuesday. We'll, we'll try to share those with you as we know, but appreciate your prayers uh, so much on, on his behalf and Hannah and the family is uh, they're kind of waiting to see what else comes down the road, uh, but he did have a successful surgery and, and I appreciated tuning in last week to watch the service and many of you praying on his behalf. 
Uh, speaking of Freddie, you know, one of the things that I picked up from him for my preaching is the idea of whether or not you preach based on the calendar. I kind of go back and forth about that from year to year, whether or not the calendar should dictate our sermon topics. Uh, and so I also appreciate, I guess that should allow me to say, the flexibility of the song leader when the preacher changes uh, on Thursday or Friday after he told him he's going to do one thing, uh, to change and do something else. Uh, you know, I know some preachers who say that you should always preach on mothers on Mother's Day. I heard a preacher even this week say you should never preach on Mother's Day, uh, uh, mothers on Mother's Day. And as many of you know, there are many women who have tried to be mothers for many years and are not able to, maybe physically. There are many who have lost babies or children who are very emotional and upset around this kind of day. There are many wonderful mothers who have done good things, and so I kind of always go uh, back and forth about what to do, and as you see, uh, the lesson, if you have your bulletin in front of you, Caroline asked me a minute ago if it was uh, about mothers, and I said, yes, it's going to be about old mothers and new mothers, and I said, no, that's not what we're going to talk about. We're just not going to talk about mothers this morning. I tried during the year sometimes to pick different Sundays to talk about families and parents and mothers and fathers. Uh, but, you know, while we don't allow the calendar sometimes to dictate exactly what we preach, there are other times that the calendar does kind of play a fact in that. In fact, if you have your outline or bulletin in front of you, you'll notice that this afternoon's lesson is one of those, even though we're not talking about mothers, when there is a leak of documents from the Supreme Court on a Monday night that affects what's going on in the news, then yes, this afternoon at 1.30... We're going to spend a little bit of time with talking about what's been going on in the news, in particular with uh, Roe v. Wade and our Supreme Court. So we hope that you can be back uh, this afternoon as we'll talk about those things. You may be familiar with Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. Paul would write, For whatever things were written before or aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Those things of old, yes, we're going to talk about old and new, but those things of old are there for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort, might have hope. You know, we sing a song that our hope, my hope, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and, and his righteousness, and that's true. But Paul's not wrong here. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Our hope, in a sense, is also built upon our learning. And the patience that we have, that we learn from reading the scriptures, the things of old. If you have your Bible and you've opened up there, go forward a little bit, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. Again, a New Testament epistle from the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> Paul would write here, as he's talking about the old law again, the things of old, he says, and you, those people to whom he is writing, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that's Christ, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Then verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and... And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I don't know if you underline or circle things in your Bible, but this is a great place right there at the end of verse 14. Nailed it to the cross. You see, the lesson this morning is one that you're, you're familiar with. You kind of know the concept. If you don't have this passage underlined, sometimes it's hard just to kind of bring it to memory and maybe to underline it or circle it is a good thing to help you remember that it's Colossians 2.14 in which we are reminded that Christ nailed the Old Testament law, as we sometimes say, to the cross. 
that it died there with him in a sense. We don't live under the old law. And you've heard me say hundreds of times before probably that I'm thankful not to have to stand up here this morning and offer some kind of sacrifice of blood to have to open up an animal and go through all those rituals that they did. I'm thankful for that. Thankful that Christ not only died on the cross, but that what then that tells us is that we don't have to live in that same way under the old law. So one of the comments or questions that we sometimes get from people who maybe are unlearned or unsure about things of the Bible will say something like, well, do you believe the Old Testament? Do you follow the Old Testament? And of course, the question, the answer is to that question is one of those kind of yes, no, no, yes, I need to explain a little bit further. Yes, I believe in the Old Testament, but no, I do not live under the Old Testament. Christians today do not live or follow the Old Testament, per se. The things of the Old Testament, the things that were there that are written for our learning, they're important. Can you imagine what you would know about God if we just had the New Testament? I'm not saying that we wouldn't have enough or that we couldn't know him. There's a lot that's included. But can you imagine? I think it's hard to separate. If you've been around the Bible for any length of time, it is hard to separate what we learn about God from the Old Testament from the New Testament. Because we begin in Genesis 1 to see his care and concern. We begin at the very beginning to begin to understand about the great God of heaven that we serve. And so it's wonderful. We don't live by it, but it is encouraging for us. What we want to notice together in this lesson this morning are some differences and then a few things that certainly are new. we got several to get through. I'll try not to go too fast here, but let's get going through this lesson. Number one, some of the differences between the old and the new is, first of all, the old has Moses, or it's associated with Moses. We're going to get to the book of Hebrews in just a moment, but in John chapter 1, the gospel according to John, chapter 1 and verse number 17 you remember John begins by talking about the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's talking about Christ. You come down to verse 17. He says, for the law, the Old Testament law, was given through Moses. The Old Testament's associated with Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So one difference is we see the old is associated with Moses, the new is associated with Christ. But not only that, the Old Testament law was given through Moses. We think about Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 and 28. Exodus 34, 27 and 28. God speaking to Moses says, write these words. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. The Old Testament law was given through Moses, but the New Testament, of course, was given through Christ. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews 9, first of all. But most of the rest of our points here in this first section of our lesson will come from the book of Hebrews. Again, if you are a Bible student, if you've studied the New Testament before, you are possibly familiar that Hebrews is about this idea of things that are better. Jesus being better than Moses and the new being better than the old. We'll get to some of those in just a moment. But Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 15 says, And for this reason he, that's Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. So once again, we see the old is associated with Moses, the new is associated with Christ, the old given through Moses, and he is, Jesus then is the mediator of the new covenant. Number two, some of these, a couple of these are not going to be in your outline if you have your bulletin in front of you. But let's notice as well that the Old Testament was associated with animal blood. Hebrews chapter 9. We're just going to kind of work our way through the rest of Hebrews 9 here. 
Hebrews 9, 18, and 19. First, first of all, verse 19 talks about <clears throat> that Moses took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. There was a dedication. There was this, these ceremonies, these rituals, these things they were supposed to do in the Old Testament under the old law. And by the way, I, maybe I should insert here, I'm going to say Old Testament for convenience and, and time, but they were doing it in the New Testament time, so to speak, you know, until Jesus died on the cross, those Jews were still practicing those things. And so there's a little bit of a difference there. Our time overlap is a little different. But certainly they were taking the, the blood of these animals, sacrificing it. And that was important, the animal blood. But as we see in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12, when it comes to the new covenant, it is the blood of Christ. Verse 12 says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Because of what Christ did, those priests blessed their hearts as we say they did their best. They did what God said. They had to do it over and over and over again. But it was only the perfect son of God and his perfect blood was shed once for all that could take away sin. So in connection with that, we might notice again number three in our total notes here, but not in your outline, that the old was temporary. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 now. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number three, first of all. Hebrews 10, three. The Hebrew writer says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. It was temporary. They had to do it over and over again because it was not going to last. What they did this year would not make it to next year in a sense or at least past that. They did what God said. They offered these sacrifices. They worked with the blood, but it was only temporary. But then we see in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 12, but this man, again, probably capitalized in your Bible, Jesus, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. Again, most of you know I use the New King James, depending on the version you're looking at. You may see it worded a little differently there. But we see then that there was a temporary sacrifice in the old, and then there is a permanent sacrifice in the new. You know, that should be comforting to us. We continue to see how things are better, and we can be thankful for the old, but we're also really thankful for the new covenant and the blood of Jesus Let's continue in connection here. This is not going to be in your outline, but Hebrews chapter 10, let's go back to verse 11 and pick that up and then look at verse 12 again. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know, we talk about that sometimes. The definition, I guess people usually say of like insanity or whatever is doing, you know, the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. They were doing what they were told. It's not that same sense maybe in which we kind of try to make a joke in that that way, but they are doing the same thing and the Hebrew writer says here, it was never going to happen. Never going to be able to take away sins, but Jesus was able to do just that. He was able to take away sin. His blood has the power, as we so often sing. And then let's notice finally here that the old abolished, 
things. The old, or excuse me, the old was abolished. I'm going to ask you to turn over to Ephesians for just a moment, then we'll come back to Hebrews to conclude this section before we move on to our last part here. But we see that the Old Testament was abolished. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. We started just a moment ago in Colossians chapter 2, and we talked about the fact that it was nailed to the cross. The things of old were nailed to the cross. Look now in Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul has a very strong parallel here of saying something similar. Ephesians 2 and verse 14, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having, here's our word, abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. We'll pause right there for the sake of our time today. But you, if you know about Ephesians here, Paul is writing to encourage those who were Jews and Gentiles to be one. He's saying that I understand that this wall of separation, especially even between you two, between you two groups, puts you so far away. You, you know, I know it's not really funny. We don't talk about politics a lot, but, but I think that's about maybe the best description sometimes for us to try to understand and wrap our minds around this. If you want to talk about how sometimes the far left is from the far right when we talk about politics, Jews and Gentiles were about that far apart wouldn't speak to one another, wouldn't want to be around one another. And so Paul writing these things is saying that Jesus did away with all of that. He did away with the Old Testament. He did away with the fact that, that the gospel or that only those who were Jews could be saved. He did away with those things so that all, man, all mankind could be saved by the gospel. He abolished the old law so that there was just this certain group of people, the Jews who were saved because of who their bloodline was, who they were born, what family they were born into, but he's now established this new covenant that is everlasting. One more time, back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13 this time. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 20, towards the very end of the epistle of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 20. The Hebrew writer again says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant we're not doing things that are just temporary we're not doing things over and over again in which we're told has no effect does no good but we are thankful for the new covenant that is everlasting we're thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus that makes it possible that we can be saved that we can have the forgiveness of our sins and as we're just kind of comparing this old and new let us also recognize that we are thankful for the old I wholeheartedly agree and believe what Paul says there in Romans 15, 4, that we are thankful for those things so that we can know about God. By the way, not only do we learn about God, but we kind of learn about mankind, don't we? We kind of learn how stubborn and difficult mankind can be. Because it's easy to look back at the children of Israel and say, boy, you guys are really frustrating, you know. Y'all would say one thing and do another. God would make you promises to protect you and you wouldn't listen and yet we turn and look at ourselves sometimes and we're doing the exact same thing. We're thankful for the old in a sense, but we're also thankful for the new. Now those are some differences, but let's take a look at just a few more things with our remaining time this morning because there are some things that change, some things that are new. First of all, we see that we wear a new name. That's kind of mentioned in 
the book of Isaiah as well. But in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 26, Acts 11 and verse 26, we see at the end of that passage that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You know, I've heard preachers debate, maybe you've heard something similar, but I've heard preachers debate before of whether or not Christians was a good thing or a bad thing. You know, that sometimes maybe people develop that name to associate with these Christ followers in order to run them down, in order to badmouth them. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Either way, it is a designation, the same designation that we can wear today. You know, we're talking about on Wednesday night in our class why we teach certain things. And we continue to say we go back to the Bible. Do you understand the peace that comes sometimes from knowing we can wear the same name? From knowing that we can follow the same word? Yes, they may not have had the Bible, certainly not in the same printed form as we do today, but they had the words of the apostles. They had the teachings of Christ, and we can do the same things that they were doing, and we can wear the same name. We have a new name. We notice number two, there's a new institution a new institution. You go back to the Old Testament, and again, we don't run it down and talk about how terrible it is, but we see that the things of old were pointing forward to the new. Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, and yes, Daniel chapter 2 in verse 44. Daniel would say, and in these, in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. You know, within the first few months of our working here with the congregation back in 2018, we, we studied the book of Daniel, and it, it's a lot to take in sometimes, but there's such a beautiful picture there in Daniel 2 of the kingdoms that would be coming and then the church being established. We can be a part of a new institution, and that is the church. Once again, thinking back to the old, the children of Israel, if you were born an Israelite, good for you. And if you weren't, then you're a Gentile. And you may be out of luck. You're, you're out of luck in a sense that you're not a part of God's favored people. Not anymore. As we think about the blood of Christ being available for all mankind, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, there's that word, all should come to repentance we can be a part of this new institution. It shall stand because Christ established it. God foretold of it through the prophets, and we are thankful to be a part of this new institution. Number three here, we see that there is a new commandment, of course, as well. The commandment is to love as Christ loved. We touched on that Wednesday night in our class, the idea of husbands and wives loving one another as Christ loved the church. That standard that raises the bar far above what any man any mortal man can do or any, any greeting card can say or any uh, rom-com can show. It raises the bar to the level of Christ. John chapter 13 and verse number 34. John 13, 34, Jesus himself says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. We sing the song, they'll know we're Christians by our love. By our good deeds, yeah, hopefully. By our worship, yes, hopefully. By our dress, by our language, yes, hopefully. By our love. Of course, love encompassing all of those things. But that is the new commandment. The commandment does not have to do with the blood of bulls and goats. It doesn't have to do with these sacrifices and these things that are done yearly, these feasts and all these other things. It has to do with the love of Christ and his sacrifice. That's the new commandment that we follow. Number four, a new priesthood. 
The priesthood of all believers. Let me ask you one more time in Hebrews chapter 7. To go back to Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 through 28. Hebrews 7, 24 through 28. We won't take the time to read all of this, but you'll see through there the discussion of Jesus being our high priest, offering up the sacrifice, of course, once again, once for all. But that makes us priests. That makes us priests. Peter would say that as well in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, that we are a royal priesthood. I just hearken back again to Wednesday night. One of the things we're trying to do Wednesday night in our class is understand why we teach what we teach, what the Bible has to say about things. And you know, as well as I know, that if you turn on the television or look around, there's a lot of confusion about who is a priest, what a priest looks like, what they're supposed to to do, and that kind of thing. But the Bible says that Christians are, are priests. That we serve as priests. We don't have fancy get up in the same way that some places do. We don't have certain rituals or again sacrifices like the Old Testament talks about. But we are a part of the priesthood with Christ serving as our high priest. We can be thankful for that. Once again, if you were going to be a priest in the Old Testament, it wasn't about the the, the highest accolades or what you could do, how much education you could have. It's about what family you were born into. We don't have to worry about any of that anymore because we are a part of a new priesthood. And that new priesthood is all believers. Number next here, we're also a part of a new feast. And that new feast, we've already partaken of this morning, the Lord's Supper. I always appreciate Gabe and and many others of our men who lead our thoughts in that way, cause us to think about these things. But it is an essential part of what we do here on the first day of the week. And once again, let me ask you to be with us on Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night. That will be our discussion of why we partake the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. But we have a new feast. If you know your Old Testament history, you know there's a list. There was a time frame. There were certain days and the ways they were supposed to do those things. We don't have to follow that anymore. We have a new feast, the Lord's Supper. We partake each first day of the week, and we need to do so in a worthy manner, as we sometimes said. I appreciate, as I said, these men that lead us and read some of these things and read the scriptures and cause us to think about these things. Because if you're like me, sometimes it's easy to make it the shortest part of the service and the bump in the road that we need to get to in order to get out of here in just a few minutes and go, be able to go eat lunch, right? But it should be something that we partake of in all seriousness, that we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He told us to do that. He commanded that we partake of the Lord's Supper to remember him. We have a new feast, and we can be thankful for that. (coughs) Excuse me. Also, we have last this morning a new day. It's in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7 is one of the places that talks about Paul as he's journeying about. He's on these missionary journeys. He's going around. He's meeting with Christians. And in verse number 7... On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Of course, there's plenty of more story there as it comes to Eutychus, if you know this particular section. But let us emphasize for just a moment, it is the first day of the week. I think that we will discuss that on Wednesday night as we get into this idea of the Lord's Supper. So we'll talk about it more then. But yes, we have a new day. We don't celebrate the Sabbath or or honor the Sabbath in the same way they did in the old. Because now we have a new day. The first day of the week. 
Have you ever thought about that as you drive around sometimes maybe on Sunday? Have you ever thought about that as you maybe wanted to sleep in on Sunday? I certainly have before. Because it's easy because everybody else is just a day off. You know, it's the day they get to do lots of other things they want to do. They get to take for themselves. But as Christians, we have a new day in which we honor Christ and worship God. It's the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, and it's important. And we can be thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, let's look at one last passage here, and the lesson will be yours. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. We're thankful for the old, we're thankful for the new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul would write, and he would encourage the Corinthian brethren by saying, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that important relationship, Charles talked about it just a few moments ago here in our auditorium class. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, in that particular instance, uh, Paul's not talking about the Old Testament, the New Testament. He's talking about us as humans, as uh, us as people who are trying to crucify the old man and put him to death and become new, become Christians. That's what he's talking about. But it's just interesting, uh, interesting thought there, isn't it? Old things passed away. All things become new. We're thankful for what the Old Testament gives us. We're thankful that it is there for our learning. But new is very often better. It's that way in our lives. We like new things all the time. But certainly that way when we think about the word of God and the sacrifice of Christ. The old is there for our learning. It's there to help us learn about God. But thanks be to God for his son and the new covenant by which we can be saved. We sang a song just a few moments ago, and I always challenge you. I try to as I try to challenge myself. We sang a song, Victory in Jesus. I know Charles changed the songs for that reason as he thought about the different topics and knowing that we could sing about our victory in Jesus. We're thankful for what is written. We're thankful for the old things that we can study and know and learn about God. But we're thankful to be a child of God by means of the blood of Christ. Our victory is only in him. And the question this morning is, is he your savior? We sang that song just a few moments ago, but could you sing it and mean it? That he is your savior, that you've been bought by the blood, that we have obtained victory in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've not done that, why not? Can we assist you this day by baptizing you for the remission of your sins? We don't want to just get people wet. There's a list of things that are on the screens here for you to also do. Once again, not because they're our requirements, but it's because what God has told us to do in his word under the new covenant. If you're here this morning and you want to become a Christian, and maybe you want to know more about this plan of salvation, we would love to help you today. Study as soon as possible because it is the greatest decision that a person can make. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that, but you've wandered away. You've struggled to remain faithful because we know this world gets us down. It's full of sin, and while we'll do good for a while, we'll also fall back into sinful ways. We're thankful that God makes it possible for us to return unto him. If you're a Christian this morning, but you've wandered away, would you want to come forward in just a moment and repent of your sins? Confess those in front of an audience such as this so that we can pray with you and for you. We're thankful for our elders. Bob will be coming forward here in just a moment as the elder for today to pray with you and for you. But we're thankful for this body that's assembled together to sing, to encourage you to become a Christian or come back to him. Even now as we stand together and as we sing.